It is nine. Well, actually, exactly 10 minutes after 9 p.m. this evening, and you are listening to The Viewpoint. My name is Oliver Dixon. Pleasure and honor to be in your company this evening. Uh, you know, taking the show forward and uh, what we, the conversation we'll be having for this half hour will be around the built environment and the uh, injection of our creative energies into that environment. In particular, we'll be speaking about design, African designers, um, and its role and maybe even a a particular focus with uh, interior design. Uh, my guests this evening, uh, fantastic interior designers themselves. I'll be speaking to Sam Alexander, who is an interior designer at K at Kim H New, as well as Erard Nivot, who is also who's the owner and lead interior designer at Kim H New. Um, we're going to be speaking about that. Uh, what they aim to do in particular is to create a sense of collaborative work between African designers, focusing on the African built environment and aiming to drive the public uh, relations activity for 2022 around three core pillars, create, exchange, and develop. Um, And that really should be the foundation of any set of collaborative work um, that we find ourselves in. Um, As a brand uh, for the last 23 years, uh, Kim H. New has been very client-centric and has become synonymous with bespoke elite interior design that benchmarks the standards of excellence. Um, And oftentimes, I think there's an interior designer deep down in each and every one of us. Um, I just, I just, it's not always great, but it's, it's there. It's, it's deep in there. Um, And I think in part it's there because actual interior designers are just so expensive. Samuel Jacob Alexander, thank you so much for your time this evening. Erot Nivot, thank you so much for your time this evening. Erot, I'll start with you. Why are interior designers so expensive? Why can an ordinary South African not afford an interior designer for their modest home? <laughs> uh, Oliver, thank you for having us. Um, expensive, I think, is a, it's, it's a perception that a lot of people have. I think it's difficult to put a value onto the intellectual property and the experience that goes into our skills, which pertains to things that, and I mean, I heard you say everyone's got a little bit of interior designer in them, and I agree with you 100%, but we've had to train and hone our skills, and over the years, we've built up some experience to to try and, and, and see problems. I see us as problem solvers, so to try and solve problems for people when it comes to spatial areas specifically. But, you know, it's difficult to put a price on yeah. what is that intellectual property worth ultimately, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sam, our existence in in our spatial existence is not one devoid of personality, right? Oftentimes, our cultures, uh, in, you know, influence what that space looks like, or at least the dominant and pervasive cultures of the time uh, influence what those spaces look like, what those spaces exist as. Um, are we? Is is the African identity, the African aesthetic? Um, the African spatial thinking, is it becoming globally prominent and one that the world looks to as a spatial, you know, aesthetic and a spatial makeup uh, that is becoming, you know, prominent in how the world seems? Like, can I walk into a hotel lobby um, somewhere in France and see um, elements of what is the African aesthetic? Um, hey, Oliver, so thank you so much for having me on the show, having us on the show, as Erard said. We were actually having this discussion myself and we were actually having uh, this discussion myself and Erard this afternoon and speaking about just exactly that, that, you know, can this aesthetic be seen? Is there an aesthetic? Um, 
My honest answer to that is, I think what has happened is is the rest of the world, if I could say so, the Western world or the Eurocentric um, um, world, has taken what we so hold dear in our culture as part of our tradition, um, as part of what forms our thinking, and has kind of claimed that and you know put that on a world stage and made it its own. So when you walk into um, high-end hotels, when you see music videos, when you see art, um, the natural aesthetic that one expects is to see um, is that of, I mean, let's say, for example, you have Malawian cloth, you have a, um, a, um, a close-up print, um, etc. You know, those things are there and they belong to our culture, but I feel that when you go overseas, that it's almost used in, it's almost used as a way to not give um, salute to South African or African art, but more to kind of it, it, it being an American kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. it being Western, it being European. Without without me saying no, um, um, because I do believe that there is there is a burden of an aesthetic that's going on, and 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 Erda and myself are really passionate about pushing this this particular um, agenda about what is it that we are offering the world as African designers? Mm. Are we merely just taking from the Western world? And maybe Eric, you can hop on on this, um, this point because you're quite passionate about this one, I know. Um, but you know, what 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 is it that we're contributing as African designers, mm. whether you're mm. an, a fine artist, whether you're a graphic designer, an industrial designer, an interior designer, can people sit back and say, that is African? Um, and for me, um, as, as someone who's, who's, who's entrenched in this industry, I do think we have a long way to go because we ourselves yeah. don't have um, confidence in what we put out. I mean, Erat, you could go anywhere in the world uh, and if you see an Anton Smith uh, sculpture, you, you won't miss it. You'll, autom- you'll immediately know it has, it has a characteristic to it. Um, you could walk into um, a high-end Wall Street building and you could see a Makosa painting, for instance, and you will know very, very, almost immediately um, that it's a Makosa painting, that it's, there's something unique about it. Um, there's unique characteristics about, um, you know, African culture, um, both, you know, in practice and in aesthetic, are we have we identified what that truly looks like, or is it a thing of instinct? Right, you sort of have to instinctively feel that ah, oh, this this feels familiar to me. This must be an African design, or is it as the Japanese, for instance, have done it in exporting their aesthetic? If you see a uh, Japanese design, both interior and external, in the built environment, you can't miss it. You automatically know what it is. Do, do we have those characteristics pinned down yet? Um, I think it's it, it ties into something Sam was saying. Like you said, we spoke about it earlier today, actually. I think to a large extent, we definitely do have a very specific aesthetic that's out there worldwide that, that people identify as African. I think where it becomes a bit more difficult in, in regards to it is where you compare it to, say, a, a Chinese or a Japanese aesthetic. It's, it's, a, it's a very specific thing you can pinpoint. When you look at Africa as a continent per se, it's, it's a huge amount of countries, a huge amount of different cultures that come together. While they share a very specific um, similarity, um, you know, from a historical point of view and how things have developed and, and there's a certain identity to it, it still has got a lot of very different aspects to it. So creating an African aesthetic per se is a little bit more difficult because you have to merge all of that. 
I mean, we refer to it as this massive melting point of cultural creativity yeah. that can take place. But it makes it a bit more difficult for the world to, to really pin something down as African. So we tend to, to, to venture in the direction of, of the, and I, if I dare say, slightly more cliche approach of the things that people do know what they have seen. I mean, yeah. as you know, design is very heavily dependent on what is publicly known and what's seen. So the media, your, your, your movies, all of those things play a massive role in what the, the average person is exposed to. So yeah. the narrative plays off on those avenues do inform that view largely. Yeah. Um, I think for me as a designer in Africa per se, and, and the way we've looked at it, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors that play into it, you know, climate, location, the necessity, economics, all of that play into and it forms design ultimately for a specific region. But like you say, you can recognize Anton Smith's sculpture, you can recognize a painting, you, you can recognize these if you are familiar with it. I mm. think we look at it from our own perspective, being familiar with it, the rest of the world might be slightly less familiar than we are, yeah. as it's closer to home. But um, I've, I've found in the past, and I'm, I'm, I look at the last 20 or so years, there's, there's a lot of cases where we as Africa has tried to, or, or as African designers have tried to emerge a specific aesthetic that does draw from historic um, references as any good design would, but also tries to look at the world as it is, the way it's changed, how things have globalized a bit more to create something that's seen as um, contemporary at the same time, which is difficult because the, I feel the world almost holds on to the, the classic traditional design as being African and struggles to see us as on the same level as them from a technological and contemporary right right yeah and every time someone has tried to break out and break through and creating something that's slightly more unique that caters for african design has the influences but also caters for the specific climate location and all the factors that come into play it creates a bit of a splash and then kind of fades out after a while and then reverts back to uh kind of a typical uh you know same was saying western influence it's, it's a it's a, it's, it's a dangerous word to use in that situation, but it is. We are influenced by that to a large extent. Mm. Uh, mm. Where I personally encounter it largely is we do a lot of work in Africa. And the perception Africans themselves have of design in Africa is we kind of look down on it. We see international work as being more prestigious, better quality, yeah. higher in value and esteem. And I've been approached by so many clients working throughout Africa and different countries where they insist on an imported specific thing while it is available locally or off the continent they'd rather import it they want a french villa or a tuscan influenced home or an italian palazzo exactly because that would portray affluence or style or culture more than a uh, african influenced design because that's kind of seen as as basic or common you know, yeah. they want to be seen as high up and they feel like the rest of the world would would inform that to their, their peers around them more than having something that's built off the fundamentals of the local architectural design style, but maybe tweaked and, and you know, turned into something new that works well for the space. We'll much rather give way and, and embrace what is seen as, as typically affluent, even though mm. it, might not, it may not suit the climate or the area or something may cost us more to run it or to build it, but it's kind of a favor in our cap locally. Uh, so I feel it's it's less the rest of the world looking at African design. I, I feel they appreciate it more than 
Africans ourselves do, we kind of look down on it to a large extent. We think it's second grade. Mm, mm. That's where our frustration lies and a lot of our passion in in regards to the movement we're taking is is kind of saying, guys, I mean, as a a local company, I mean, Kimach has been around for, for 23 years. We've worked internationally. We worked in Spain, Portugal, the UK, throughout Africa. And our quality, when we compare it to what is available in these other countries, actually, it, it outperforms yeah. what's available. We had double the price. Yeah. So there's no reason to look down on what we do. We can do everything. We've, we've got it to, to our exposure. We've got way more creativity. But we ourselves tend to look down on it. We, we're the reason that we, we can't be elevated above. So we're kind of always seen as the, the continent that's been colonized and it's lesser that's third world and cannot keep up that's hungry and poor you know but we've got all this riches of culture and ideas yeah. we're a we're a continent that's ultimately had to make do and, and had to be we've been forced to be innovative because we haven't had the same advantages are we are we, are we had to plan. yeah sam are we sufficiently collaborating um you know I'm, I'm, well i'm not a creative but i'll say we are we as african designers sufficiently collaborating um, in terms of our offering, not just to ourselves, but to the world. And I think we need to start with our offering to ourselves. Um, And I don't mean, um, you know, A3 architects uh, hitting up the next best architecture firm and collaborating on a project in that sense and maybe speak to whoever is is hip in the the green technology innovation space and hopefully they come up together. I'm talking about holistic collaborations uh, where you can call up a Karabo Popi and say, hey, do you have a, 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 you know, a, a, you know, color palette for us that will work for this particular brief um, and speaking to, um, you know, whoever designed, uh, you know, what's what's the, the, that that stadium in Cape Town, Greenpoint Stadium and say, hey, we like the lines in this particular design that and, and, and how it just yeah. integrates itself into the natural environment of the ocean, the, you know, the mountain behind it and the green pastures. Are we doing yeah. enough of that or are we are we still as South African and South African designers working in silos? I must be honest, I think we're still in silos. I think we are we we're playing our cards so close to our chest because we're scared we're gonna lose clientele, we're scared we're going to lose our position in the market. Um I mean, for example, um when it comes to internship. Uh, well, well, interning and something that an interior, an interior, ha- excuse me, an interior designer has to do um, in order to qualify is you have to serve an internship. Yeah. So you have students that beg, and I mean, like I was in the space myself. You go knocking from door to door, just needing this, these three months, six weeks, a month, fifteen days to be able to pass your degree, and you have companies who simply won't just let you sit there and gain experience collaborate if one could say so mm-hmm. um where we are so we're scared to share the space um we're scared to hold space for each other um the other day I had a conversation um and and a new trend actually that is slightly coming up um is other designers are starting to like other designers work on instagram which is a great thing yeah you know i mean there's no greater compliment than another artist or someone exactly in your industry appreciating your work then you know you've done something good yeah. um i do think we have a long way to go i think we're definitely starting um but we have a long way to go and i mean i'm 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 optimistic for that and i'm part of that journey and i'm here for that 
Yeah, let's take some calls on 011-714-2006. Dumile in Eastern Cape, uh, well, in East London. Good evening. Uh, hello, hello, my brother. How are you? I I'm, hope you are. I'm fantastic, so go ahead. Uh, I wanted to find out, man, uh, this issue of interior design, I just wanted to check with the differences that we still have in terms of uh, black and white in the country. Now, I wanted to ask a question. How much of the personality of our South African white still comes out in the design vis-a-vis what is the natural design element of our African designers you find in South Africa. The reason I ask that is that I used to stay with an industrial designer, and I realized when he does his research on his products that he wants to design, he goes specifically for African elements, and you go into the history of a specific chair or a table, and you will come up with a design specifically to that. But I realized it was simply because he, he was in touch with his Africanness. Uh, for instance, in many of the design principles, you get what they call Fibonacci, Fibonacci something. Sequence. But when you realize that Fibonacci spiral is not actually a Fibonacci spiral because it exists even on the African on the African pyramid, which mm. are old than the than the land. But I think one of the problems and the biggest mistakes we make is that we fail to claim what is ours and it becomes difficult to sell it as ours. So you find mm. Europeans selling what is ours as theirs because mm. we have not claimed it. You know, like this idea of Arabica coffee, which you all know it comes from Ethiopia. Mm. But because they failed to claim it, so the world calls it Arabica, even though it's not Arabica, it's Ethiopian coffee. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So I think design also has that problem. So I yeah. just wanted to find out how much of, 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 of that has to do with South Africa not finding a foot in the market of identifying itself in terms of design. Yeah. For Africa as a whole. Yeah. Beautiful Thank question. You. Beautiful question, man. Thank you so much, Dumile. Uh, Sam, I want to put that question to you and I want to paraphrase it a little bit um, because Thank I you. think the crux of the mm. question is this. Are African designers and in particular South African designers becoming courageous? Yes, 100%. Are we taking up One. space, as Zosbini would say? One hundred percent. I think we're becoming more audacious. We're taking risks. We're being more bolder. We're owning our um, our flaws. We're owning those gaps, and we and we're using that to our advantage. Um, I mean, again, I mean, I'm speaking about someone who's come through the doors of Kim H. Um, in that sense, um, which is Donald. Um, and I mean, he does some beautiful work. He really does some strong work. He's, I mean, the way he uses patterning, the way he uses color, quite interesting. Um, so I do think that we are, we're, we're getting to the space where we no longer need the influences of the outside world yeah. because we've, <laughs> because there's so much to get through on this continent in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Edart, I want to, I want to zone in a little bit on the work you guys are doing. Uh, talk to me about the Sanctuary Mandela project. Oh, well, um, yeah, Sanctuary Mandela was actually one of the sparking points for us in, in pushing this narrative for our guys. You know, we were very honored that a couple of years back, uh, Kim, who was the founder of the company originally I took over from, well, I used to be the design director from, was approached to, to do this. And, and sadly, I mean, he passed away and I had to step in as the project was about to start. But it, it did pose a couple of questions that we had to ask ourselves around design itself, which was a very specific brief. We were lucky enough to, to work on the home that was Nelson Mandela's home for eight years while he was a president and not. It was a historic space that had been dilapidated and we had to turn it into something that was a home 
told the story was a space of reflection, but also not a museum at the same time. You know, it was a hotel, but still felt homely. And that's where the, the thing came up where we had to look at how to give it an African influence without turning it into a gallery or a museum without it being too in the face to cater for markets locally and internationally and ultimately tell the story and force people to reflect, you know. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of research. We had to go into it. We had to find a lot of things. We got. We had. We were lucky enough to be able to partner up with a lot of people on this project, being the project that it was. And it's it's actually the project where Sam ended up joining me. Uh, where you know, uh, as timing would have it, I needed someone to partner up with me in regards to 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 bringing this to fruition. And Sam, who interned with me many years ago, was was bugging me at that stage. He just sent me a random email and said to me, "You're right." <laughs> You wouldn't happen by any chance to have an opening. And I said to him, Sam, this is perfect. Pop in for a meeting. Let's look at it. And it, it started a, a great professional relationship going forward where he ended up joining the firm and worked personally on the project with me. Yeah. Where we could create a space that was a space around storytelling that forced people to reflect by looking for the story, not having it plastered in your face. When you walked in, you had feelings that were evoked, but questions that had to be asked you know we, we left things slightly unfinished so that you were forced to ask the questions so the stories could be told yeah. so you had to go and explore and find the answers and find this narrative that winds through it without it being in your face you know it's it's a hotel where each of the staff members have been trained to be storytellers who understands wow. what the design is behind it so you can literally stop anyone who works there and says tell me about this that you know we've had original flooring that's been made artworks we we based the rooms and the stories behind each room around the john mayer paintings that were done about matiba's life different phases of his life we had letters that he wrote from prison letters he wrote to his kids to the warden artworks that were donated from the foundation itself um, a lot of things we got to salvage and just placing them in different ways and places that you wouldn't expect them yeah. And showing little things so that it kind of forces you to ask the question, to hear the story and then reflect. So it draws you in and makes you want to see more. Sam, and design work is storytelling, right? Yes. How important is it that we see it as that? Um, and and it, it's, it's, it's uh, as Erard as, as is speaking, that light comes on for me because I, we yeah. never really immediately think of our spaces as a story uh, existing yeah. with us, right? Um, yet when we go to museums and when we go to these fancy places, they tell us about the paintings and the floor and everything else, and there's a story behind it. But we don't think of our own spaces as one that carries a story that, that we can immediately tell. How important is it that we see design work as fundamentally storytelling work? So, I mean, if I could use a synonym for storytelling, um, in our world, that jargon would be called conceptual thinking. Um, and it is so important for, for your work to be able to just be grounded. And when someone comes into that space, if your work is grounded in story, if your work is grounded in, in, in concept, it speaks for itself. Yeah. So, I mean, when 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 we had this great great privilege of doing um, Nelson Mandela's first home, the challenge was 
was was to create the story and not for it to just be a museum. And I mean, Eric has said this, and I'm saying it again, that that was the story where we had to start looking at the nuances. We had to start looking at the at, 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 at specific detailing as to how one gets a story across without necessarily plastering it all over. So yeah. if you don't have a story, you, you just have decorating. And I hate to say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, there's a young South African listening right now thinking, I want to become a designer. I want to create beautiful spaces, not just decorating. Or uh, there's a frustrated accountant sitting right now trying to balance ledgers. But all they really want to do is tell stories uh, through design and creating beautiful spaces that we can um, you know, feel happy in and where we can fully actualize as human beings in those spaces and Africans. How, how do they make that transition? How do they get into the space and the industry? Uh, Sam, I'll give you the first half of that and add out you can finish off for us there. Um, so what's important is to, 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 well, to have the drive. I don't want to say passion because, I mean, we've done some really in-depth um, research about the kind of students that we take in for internships and realize that all these students come from different backgrounds. So I may not, not necessarily have the passion for it, but I'm doing this as a means of a way out or whatever it is. So I'm going to say the first point of call is why is that we're doing it? Are we passionate? Do we love the creativity? Do we just need an outlet also? Um, and then if you are serious about it, I'm going to say go to school. Um, you know, in hindsight, one realizes that interior design is a taught skill and it's not just as simple as putting stuff together you really have to know what you're doing and if you don't know what you're doing you're gonna you're gonna mess it up um but i'm gonna say your first two points are you need to know why you're doing it yeah. and then go to school i mean you don't have to get a degree you're not out here trying to you know be that person but you know get some education know what it's about understand ergonomics understand conceptual thinking um and just understand design as a whole concept yeah, uh, Erat, you know, a lot of, especially if you're black in South Africa, the, your parents will tell you there's no way you're studying that thing uh, because creative <laughs> and the arts and the creative industry is seen as one that is not a real job, that is not lucrative. In fact, a lot of designers, um, you know, fear entering the space wholeheartedly out of the fear that they may not make a decent living. You guys are managing quite well. Well, yeah, well, I'd like to think so. <laughs> you know, I, I actually say to a lot of the interns that come through the office, uh, I, I, I kind of like to have a bit of a chat to the guys. And I say to them, ideally, if you want to be a great designer, there's there's a couple of ways you can approach it. If you're getting into the industry, become famous and rich, then, you know, it's probably not the ideal industry to be in because not everyone does. There's the possibility. We do have these uh, shows that we watch on TV. It makes it look like champagnes and handover all the time. And there's actually a lot of hard work and, and, and graft that needs to go into making these things happen. It, it is a slightly passion-driven industry, but it, it's not a necessity. It, it's hard work. Yeah. Um, you can make a good living. You know, it's 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 not just design per se. People do, do think it's it's based on people who are creative, who are artists that do it. I always say to the guys, half of this job is sales. It's selling yourself. It's mm. being able to convey your thoughts and your views, convincing people that you're going in the right direction. Because, you know, we are storytellers, we are designers, we create beautiful spaces, but we're also problem solvers, ultimately. Someone approaches you with a, a problem, of a spatial problem that needs to be solved, and you need to come up with that solution. Yeah, and absolutely. Your solution, 
it may not be the only right solution, but you kind of have to convince someone or sell yourself that it's the right solution right now. And this is the reason. And that's where that storytelling can come in nicely. Like Sam said, it's, it's the conceptual thinking behind it, having rationale behind why you're doing things, which people can relate to that, that makes people see the, the ultimate vision you've got for this space. Yeah. But um, you touching on African designers trying to get into it and not being it. Yes, you can make a, a job from it. There's so many avenues in it. You can make a very successful living from it. You can become famous doing it. But the nice thing for most of us designers is you end up going, not working a day in your life. You enjoy what you do every day. It, it, it lends itself to a lot of aspects. It's like Sam said, go to school, but also experience ends up counting more than that. So if you can get an internship somewhere, get your foot in, learn about the fundamentals, and you've got a bit of a creative acumen, you can get your way in there. I mean, Kim who started Kim H never studied design. Yeah. He just had a bit of a knack for it. And then he, he taught himself the rest of the way. Yeah, so, I, I hope you're realizing that you're uh, encouraging uh, countless aspirants at this moment to bombard your email <laughs> inbox <laughs> asking for intern opportunities. But gentlemen, thank you so much for your time this evening. Really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and thank you for your insights and beautiful work that you're doing. Thanks, Oliver. Appreciate your time. Yep, that uh, was my guest this hour. Fantastic, fantastic conversation.